Hey, welcome to Cameras or Whatever, the podcast for working photographers. I'm Tyler Stallman. And I'm Cameron Whitman. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. That's what I want the theme of the show to be. Um, happy or just Happy New Year? Uh, New. <laughs> happy New. Happy New. In, in celebration. Actually, have a, a miniature bottle of champagne beside me. Sweet. That uh, I thought I'd, I'd open. So we're recording this uh, the day, New Year's Day. There we go. <laughs> wow, that was that was dramatic. Yeah, does it sound like you hear maybe hearing the pour will sound like uh like New Year's? Oh wow. That's fantastic. Perfect. Okay. That was so perfect now, audio. Now it's, sensory. Now it's officially twenty seventeen. <laughs> How you been? Good. Good. Real real uh it, it's been an interesting time. This was actually the very first time in in my life in this holiday season that I had a job where I was given vacation or holiday, paid, yeah. like paid holiday. Did you did you take it as such? Did you relax at all? Well, I, I don't know that I relaxed, <laughs> but I, I definitely, um, I took the opportunity. And, you know, what that meant for me was to get a lot of other stuff done. Right? Yeah, I, I, I'm a similar personality type. Time off means just working on something I want to work on. Exactly right, yeah. And so we turned the house upside down and, Got rid of everything that we didn't want, or at least a lot of things that we didn't want. So, mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's good. It makes it, uh, you know, it helps with that whole New Year idea concept. Yeah, for sure. We've been doing similar things at the studio. Um, it's been a huge mess for uh, two months now, so we uh, turned that around. Yep. And I uh, also, I, my resolution was to continue not starting a 365 project. Okay. <laughs> Con- continue not to. I'm going to continue not doing that it's a high bar i figure that you know like i sh- almost shoot every day anyway so yeah whatever yeah you're basically doing it yeah i do uh i do every day uh the app for my phone that reminds me once a day to take a selfie oh that's right and i'm on like year five of that maybe now i, I um let me see if i can no i guess i can't see how long it's been because uh i've changed phones a few times in between so i had to kind of just export them all at some point so they're not all in one phone they're in some video files but wow that's got to be i think you showed that to me a while back yeah it's actually not that interesting i don't think like adults don't change very much even in five years yeah so uh, you know I, I think it'd be way more interesting to run it on a kid you should you should download it now and start using it yeah on the kids yeah exactly because mm-hmm. yeah that's when you get some real change yeah so that's the flip side of my story uh, you know, having having a kid is hard, and having two is is Easy. exponentially harder. <laughs> I got it wrong. I guessed wrong. <laughs> no, it's it's uh it's amazing, but wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I can imagine. Yeah. Um, but your your tweet today was what inspired me to to record because I want to hear what you were thinking about. You were doing some reorganization of your your photos for the new year, and that's something I have to deal with soon. And I thought you might have some secrets that uh, that I don't know about or audience doesn't know about. So well, I don't I don't know if they're secrets so much. I think that we all just have our thing that we mm-hmm. do, and then we refine that thing. You know, we we realize we look over the past year or the results of a previous year, and decide, okay, well, this worked, then didn't work. You know, or am I really any closer to having an archived that I can actually access comfortably and knowledgeably? I determined, I'm, I'm guesstimating because I, I don't know how many files I deleted, but um, out of the files that I saved, I think I shot 
close to 35,000 files this year. Um, and that's, that's just what I have on the drive. So I'm not sure exactly what that means in terms of total number, but it was a lot of photos. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is we, um, the way we shoot, uh, we have like such a low yield of photos per shoot. Mm -hmm. Uh, I really don't know what we shot because they're all delete. They're all gone. We'll, we'll have 2000 photos in a shoot. And all I have now is 300 or 100 or 400 or something like that. Yeah. So, um, and actually this is, this is going to be my side of the topic is mm -hmm. my Lightroom catalogs are messes. So it's actually hard for me to know what we did in total, but oh. I'll, I'll get into to me after first. I, I want to hear about you, especially this film thing. You were saying you want to, you have a way that you want to start documenting your film stuff. Yeah. So I think I have to kind of start from the beginning and just talk, talk about how, like, how I do the cataloging and, and, just kind of a refresher on the backup, just so it doesn't start off in a weird place. We talked last year about using a uh, NAS system for backup. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've continued on with that. And I also have a, a black base, black, oh my God, I can't say it, Backblaze account. Yeah, you got it. Super redundant on all my backups. But the, the other thing that I do is um, I dedicate a hard drive, an external hard drive for each year. Just because I'm at the point now where I'm shooting so many pictures that it actually can make sense, you know, like I can buy a single terabyte or maybe, you know, or depending on how many, you know, I look at the previous year and make a determination. Mm -hmm. like, okay, this is how many I need this year. Um, last year I used 1.3 terabytes. And so the drive that I currently have is four terabytes. So I'm going to probably have to use this one for another year at least or two, but what I'm, you know, I actually partitioned that so that I could have all the years just on their own drives. So what I do is I start a catalog for each year separately. Um, and I've found that that helps me keep everything organized a little bit better. Cause it's less, you know, there's just not as much. Well, so I have a question. Do you, are you able to get all your photos up to black, black blaze back place? Mm -hmm. Because um, I've used, I think I had Backblaze at one point and Crash Plan, mm -hmm. and um, neither of them could get even close to catching up. The, the issue wasn't really; it wasn't their fault. Mm -hmm. It's uh, my bandwidth, my up uh, load bandwidth is is way too low, and it oh, would just it just yeah. never would catch up with what I shoot. And especially with what I was just describing about that, like. You know, if I shoot a few thousand photos and I'm only keeping a few hundred, um, I can't have it start backing up all the photos I know I'm going to delete anyway. So it spends a week trying to back up junk that isn't important. So that's been a that's been a challenge for me is that there's so much unimportant data. It's hard for me to get full resolution backups of the important photos. Like I, I don't have a way to streamline getting those out, like pulling out all of the stuff. I want to keep because out of each year, there's only a few thousand photos that matter, right? Like maybe 2000 photos that I really care about at all. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's hard to identify them. Um, and and <laughs> yeah. it's, it's really time consuming to like go back and go through everything to, to flush them out. So, yeah. And that's why, you know, like I believe that you have to do it periodically. It's yeah. just maintenance. As you, you, know? as you go, basically. Yeah. And that's why I'm also, you know, I'm doing it this way because if I separate these catalogs yearly, it just helps me to maintain everything in a nice and orderly fashion and things don't start to stack up and I don't like have to go back through mm -hmm. years and years of stuff. 
Um, but to answer your, your question about Backblaze, I've been using it for many years. And the very first time that, that I needed to, or the very first backup took, you know, like 200 something days, I think. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, but I've been caught up for a while. I mean, my, my upload speed is, is like 87 megabytes oh, per second. Go to hell. <laughs> yeah. And my download yeah, speed I mean, is 80. I just tested it just so I could tell you that right now. Because uh, I knew that you were going to be like, yeah. that sucks. Yeah. Yep. Because mine at the studio, we pay for faster internet and it's 10. That's the good internet. That's like oh the God. best I can get. And then at home, it's five. You know, you live in like a third world country or something? In Canada, yeah, I tell you. If you live in the right neighborhoods, you can get fiber, but um, the general access to high-speed internet is not good at all. Yeah, I think that that's, um, that's one of the, the, the unknown factors in my rent <laughs> is, is that we have a really good internet in this mm -hmm. neighborhood. So. Oh, well. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah. So, but, but you know, that, that makes it easier to do all these redundant backups, you know? Yeah. You know, I'm one of those people that when I first started out, you know, doing like serious work. Um, you know, one of my first real jobs, I lost the photos, and it was just horrifying. What do you, you know? What do you think happened? The card corrupted, or? Well, no, I did. I didn't have them backed up, and I had the photos on my uh, Mac iMac hard drive, mm -hmm. and I didn't have any backup system at all. Mm -hmm. and this was years and years ago. That's when mm -hmm. I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah, and. Um, yeah, and so I lost some photos, and I lost a lot of photos, and that was a horrible experience. And, yeah, and like, luckily, the 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 uh, I'm using quotes <laughs> client was a friend, and mm -hmm. they forgave me. And so you know, not not that not the worst thing. To ever and so happen. you're still a photographer today. Yeah, and I learned my lesson though very early on, and you know, the first thing I, I bought was a Drobo. Um, but anyway, I'm, I'm drifting. <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about again? Yeah. So, you know, anyway, so I, I updated my catalog again this year. So the way I do it is I separate it into three different parts in the catalog. So, you know, it's all on a clean hard drive or a part clean partition of the hard drive. So it's not interrupted with anything. And, um, you know, I have my business, my freelance stuff. I have that labeled under CWP cause that's the name of the business. Um, and then I have personal, which then I have broken into digital and film. And then I have um, stock. And then I have uh, a, a kind of a junk drawer that mm -hmm. I do, that I use for um, mostly for work purposes. Um, but so that keeps everything just like in, in areas that it makes it easy for me to, to figure out what is what. Um, but the problem that I've been finding is, is, you know, I shoot so many different kinds of film. Um, you know, I, I'm Muslim, you know, to be perfectly honest, my film photography is more of a hobby than anything else. I don't shoot film professionally. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Everything that I do as a professional photographer is digital. Well, the, the ways that it's professional are that you license it as stock, right? Yeah, I but, license it as... But you wouldn't as, do it for a client. Yeah, but I mean... I, 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 you know, it accounts for probably 5% of my income, you mm -hmm. know? So it, it is more just for my personal fun. You know, I just do it because I like to do it. The fact that I make some money is just luck, I guess, mm -hmm. or a blessing. And, you know, I take that money and, you know, I invest it into more toys. It pays for itself, but it, it just keeps me interested in, in art, I guess. Um, 
but keeping track of everything has been has been really tough because you know like i said i shoot a lot of different types of film and i have a lot you know a lot of different cameras and so when it comes to how do i line all that up in my catalog i've been going through a lot of um, hills and valleys or bumps i should say it's been a bumpy road and um, i get the impression that a lot of people have this problem even people who don't shoot as many weird films as i do and that's because you know like what are you going to name each folder how are you going to to organize your catalog because it's you know with when i do freelance and when i do stock it's easy so with stock you know i, I either shoot lifestyle or i shoot food generally um so with food I, you know i can have a general food and beverage folder with then i'll have like dinners sides soups salads wait wait can we go back a step so where where yeah. are where are these folders? Is this where you put things as you import or is this, Yeah. do you kind of move them after you? No, in my catalog, in my Lightroom catalog. Yeah. So I have three, three main folders. So I have one for business, one for stock and one for personal. And okay. So as soon as you import, you, you do this sorting and the files actually live in them. It's not just a metadata folder. It's not That's like, right. cat, um, whatever they call it. That's them. right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're all there. They're all nice and organized but you know for so back to what i was saying about my professional work you know especially with the stock it's it's super locatable because it has to be you know mm -hmm. you never know when you're you might need to move something or access it or who knows what and so uh you don't want to have to go and like discover that stuff um or i think that it's just better to know where it's at like when i m went from iStock to stocksy you know like that was such a nightmare getting all that stuff Hunting together yeah. yeah i mean it it, I think that it, it definitely kept me from uploading all of it to, to every place I could mm -hmm. just because it, it took so much work. So I, I, again, I learned my lesson. And so now everything's so neatly packed, but then you get to the film and it's not neatly packed at all because with film, I, I, I kind of just discover, you know, rather than plan. Um, like professional stuff, it's always a plan. There's usually like a, a call sheet and you know, like a, a, sh a shoot list. Right. And you like, know why you're doing this shoot yeah, and what it's right. going to be. And, you know, yeah. And there's a name for it. And there's a, there's a, there's basically, there's, there's a file for it and a place for everything. Mm -hmm. But with film, it's always just really random. And so what I tried the first year was to, um, you know, I just did it all under film, you know, and, and then just was trying to name things based on whatever the subject was that was on most of the role. Because it was usually not just like, you know, when you're shooting digitally, it's really easy to, to break things up because it's not all on a single roll. It's on a single card, but it's easier to split that stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, for whatever reason, it's, it's more of just a mental hurdle than anything else. Um, but because, you know, you shoot a roll and the, the aesthetic of that whole shoot, even if the shoot itself is not linked to itself or to each other, Am I making any sense? I'm confusing <laughs> yeah. the hell out of myself. Well, it's a confusing thing. That's why we're talking through it. You have, a, especially 35 millimeters, so you have 36 shots. You know, if I'm carrying around my Fuji class, those 36 shots are not going to be linked together. Yeah, that's what I always found. They're, they're, they're completely random. There is not... The common thing was typically, yeah, which type of film I used. Cause, well, and yes. I, this is past tense for me because I didn't shoot almost any film this year. Yeah. Um but so you just nailed exactly the point though. Yeah. So what I determined was that most of the time I ended up naming the folder like walk around. And right. then I started naming them walk around with this camera because mm -hmm. now I have more than one camera. You know, then I started naming them by the film type. 
And so this past year, 2016, I separated them by camera. So I could, you know, I felt like that maybe that would be an easier way for me to remember that. And that actually was an improvement. But then there was still, you know, it was it's still just really kind of difficult to do. So this year I am starting with something similar. What I'm doing now is I'm separating my folders. Like, so the hierarchy goes personal, then film. And then I have, I'm doing it based on how I'm archiving the actual negatives. So I'm trying to make that part match with the digital or the digital part match with the, the actual physical negatives. So under film, I'm now I'm, I'm going to black and white medium format, black and white large format, black and white 35, then the same with color. And then from, from down there, it's going to be by subject. And then so what I did is I created codes for each role uh, that I'm going to be adding, that I add into the keywords. And so those codes are basically based off of the film. Are they and, and human the readable or uh, yeah? What, what, like what's an example code? For an example, I just shot a role at Ilford HP5. So the code I put was IHP5-1, so that's the first role, hyphen 2017. Okay. So, you know, I, you know, I shoot a lot of HP five, so it's, it's an, it's imaginable that I would eventually have it. So that there was an, you know, IHP hyphen 10 hyphen 2017, you know, cause I shot 10 rolls of HP five. And so I can, I can, you know, I'm putting all these in a spreadsheet and then I have, okay, so I have the code and then I have the book, which is the physical binder. Mm-hmm. So I know which binder it'll be in. Um, so if I need to look at it, I just look at the spreadsheet and go like, okay, I know exactly which binder that's in. And I know so how I'm much care it. and attention do you put into storing your negatives? Like, do you think of them as something you're going to likely refer back to in the future? I have to. Because I don't. I I mean, again, I, I didn't shoot film this year really, but um, everything I had shot, I basically tried to get the best scans I could and then considered them digital photos after that. Yeah, because the odds of me going back to any of the film is is low enough that uh, I I basically I just threw it in a box and I don't even know if I'm going to keep that box forever. Well, it's it's a really tough decision to make to decide that your work is important enough for you to archive to this degree. Mm -hmm. I think that all of us go through quite a lot of insecurity at different phases. And, you know, that's been my issue all along is that, like, you know, I've always felt kind of like, well, I've made some good photos, but overall my, my body of work is not that significant. You know, it doesn't need to be like, mm-hmm. don't, do my film images need to be accessible like forever? Mm-hmm. And then I had kids and then I was like, who knows? It's very possible or likely that in 20 or 30 years, if I'm still alive, great. But if not, who knows? They might not be worth anything to anybody, but if they're worth something to somebody, I owe it to my children and my family to archive it in such a way that, that it's accessible. Well, and when the solar flare hits, that uh, negative might be the only thing left of your photos. So You know, there's that too. <laughs> I take very, very good care of my negatives. That's good. And uh, I now have about 20 binders of negatives. What, really? Wow. Yeah, because I had about seven from my previous life as a film photographer. It's crazy. I, 
I spent like one year organizing that well. Not and all of the binders is hiding somewhere, but I... yeah, but not all of the binders are full. Okay, you know the way that I'm doing this in the spreadsheet, and what I'll do is I'll take a screenshot and send it to you so you can add it to the. Oh yes, uh, actually, that'd be very yeah, helpful. So that so that people can see what this is, but like in the show notes. Um, yeah, so in those binders, I'm, I just call it book. Like I have a, depending on how much I shoot or something, I have a uh, a black and white for medium format and black and white for 35 millimeter and then a color for medium format and a color for uh, 35 millimeter because I shoot a lot of those four formats that they need their own binder. Mm -hmm. Like I don't want to mix them up. If you're only shooting the occasional black and white or the occasional infrared or something like that, it doesn't matter. But I shoot that much that it makes sense for me to go ahead and split them up. Now, with large format, they can all go in one binder because <laughs> mm -hmm. there's just not that many. Right. Yeah. I couldn't imagine you burning through uh, 36 large formats no. very often. No. But I, I shoot a lot of 35. And this year, I'm determined to shoot a lot more uh, with my Mamiya. So, no, is this, so this is uh, quasi uh, New Year's resolutions? Because I, I just, well, specifically a lot more with the Mamiya because. You know, I pined for this damn camera for so long, and you're like, you heard me talking about it. For yeah, ages. now you got to put it to use. Yeah, and I, I looked, I looked at my uh, last year's efforts, and only had 210 shots. So it's 21 rolls. Right. And I guess some people might think that's pretty good, but like for me, I was just like, oh, that's just not enough. Well, <laughs> percentage-wise, I think you tweeted something about this. How much of your shooting ended up being filmed in 2016? Six uh, percent. Six zero six. Yeah. Okay. But, Which is funny because I feel like I spend more of my days working on film. But why that may not really represent the truth very well because what percent of your photos that you shared with the world are film? That might be more interesting. Or I don't know if sharing is the right metric, but what's the percent of the photos that you cared about in 2016 were <laughs> shot on film? That's probably a lot higher, right? Much higher. Like 50? Yeah. Um, Maybe. It's hard to say. Like I'm, I do feel very good about. I feel good about the professional work I do too, but I don't know that. I, I, I just feel like there's less engagement uh, with an audience. Social, socially. Yes, because because with my, I don't know how this how this goes for you, but like for my personal work, like I feel like that's more an expression of me, as opposed to the work that I'm doing. Right. Oh yeah, for clients. Totally. Yeah, when it's, that, it's that, client stuff, you're doing what they asked you to do. It, exactly. it represents their aspirations um, and and there is there's you know like obviously i want to people to see what i do because then i get more i get hired again hopefully yeah but i think we all pick and choose or we should all pick and choose which of our client work comes to represent us there's tons of client work that we've done that we're never going to show anybody because not not that it's bad no, it's um, just that you don't you don't necessarily want to make that your 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 gig. Yeah, yeah exactly, and it can quickly become your gig, um, mm -hmm. especially if you're good at it. Yeah, if you really so. kick ass at doing weddings. Yeah, even ours, like our wedding page is not um pub, well, not not that's not public, but there's no link to it. Um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I mean, I could say it here. If you go to stallman.com/slash/weddings, that's you'll find you, it. Yeah, you'll find it. But we basically just send that to people that mm -hmm. we are interested in shooting the wedding because we only do a couple of years so yeah and we want to do a few a year but uh yeah like i said it, it, we don't want to define us so so some of the other things that i have in this um in my spreadsheet i'll just list them real quick sorry i ate a smarty i apologize to the audience no it sounded I delicious 
I should not have eaten a Smartie while talking on, on microphone. But okay, it's one more resolution. Uh, no Smarties on mic. You know, sometimes... Okay, now I'm going to wash it down with this beer. Hold on. <laughs> I tried to do that in the mic just to make it... No, this makes for great podcasting. Good. I'm glad. This um, is what our listeners come back for. <laughs> should I burp? <laughs> no, no. Save that for 2018. Uh, I don't need... That's my, my son's talents. <clears throat> anyway, so here, here are the, the lines I have. So and the thing is, I'm only starting this now. So I'm really curious to see where this ends up by the end of the year. Um, so I have like the the code that I talked about, which is just in the infancy stages. So I'm hoping that to refine that and figure out what works. I have the book, which is the film binder. Uh, I list the camera. I list the film that I shot. I list the lenses that I used for that um, particular film, mm-hmm. for that particular mm-hmm. role. Mm-hmm. And then I list the subjects that I shot. And then I also list the process. And so um, what I mean by that is for the roles that I have in there right now, just that I just started with, um, I've developed a home. Both roles were developed in Ilford DDX. So I wanted to list, you know, which developer I used and I pushed them both two stops. I would love to know how many of our listeners are really into film. I feel like it's it's quite a few. I mean, based on Twitter activity, it seems like you you especially get a lot of film questions. But yeah, I don't think it's... Uh, I think those are just the people that talk the most. <laughs> <laughs> right. Film people um, are just very expressive. But I, I don't think that we talk about so much film that that would be the core of our audience. No. I, well, I basically have no idea. Yeah, we don't know. Someday we'll we'll do a survey. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that was a, that was a question. <clears throat> Something I, that's been on my mind lately, it's really <clears throat> frustrating, is that for all the effort we put into this podcast, which podcasts are my preferred entertainment. I listen mm-hmm. to them all day. It's the way I like to express myself the most because you have time to go through your ideas and, and really dive deeply into it. Everybody should know that Tyler used to listen to music. <laughs> yeah, until podcasts came around. Yeah, because and, the music got bad, boring. podcasts got good. Yeah. And, and here replaced we are. it exactly. It's awful. But um, <laughs> then uh, lately I put out a couple YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. And what's really frustrating is the views on my YouTube videos just completely dwarf our podcast downloads. Mm-hmm. And I care about the podcast more. Like I enjoy the podcast more. So this is YouTube kind of is a, YouTube is a hot thing, right? I know. I know but it's, it's, it's its own um, because the kids use it as a social network. You know, it's yeah. not just a, a a place to watch. It's like they subscribe and then they keep coming back to it and um, we'll spend all day on it. And it's there isn't the equivalent for that for podcasts. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I really wish we could, um, I don't know, do the same thing with this because it's, it's, it's what I really love. So, I don't know. Part of my New Year's resolution is, uh, I don't know, grow this podcast more. Yeah, I think that'd be awesome. I think we should we should dedicate ourselves to doing that. Absolutely, let's make it let's a make resolution. it real. The problem with the resolution is that I know that if I say, let's not okay, let's take it back. Let's not make it a resolution. Let's yeah, just make it a I won't thing do. we may or may not do. <laughs> I will. You know, it's just it's like the the there's like an inner contrarian living inside of my brain that's like, no, dude, you're not going to do that. <laughs> you're not, not going to do it. So why did you say that you're going to do that? You're not going to. Well, I, I, w- I want to turn the tables now and talk a bit about my my problems, mm-hmm. my uh, headaches of dealing with the piles of photography sitting in front of me. And the way that you do it sounds great and is so completely different, um, especially when you talk about having 
the down, the folders that you download into being directly organized by shoot mm -hmm. um, is in no way part of uh, our system. I, you know, because uh, a, a factor that is maybe unique to me is that Anya touches the files as much as I do. Mm -hmm. Like, I think even in your case or a lot of other people's case, when they work as a team, that a lot of the time one person primarily deals with the files afterwards. So even if you, if you do a shoot with your wife, you're doing all of the back end, right? So it's all on your computer and you can sort everything the way that you want. That's right. Um, but things f completely get passed back and forth for us. And a lot of uh, uh, our turnaround is quick enough that like, uh, there, there's no kind of extra time for just sorting things. Basically what we do is this, this much has been settled on in the past year. And I feel better about is that we buy two buy a pair of new hard drives right now. They're uh, four terabyte Seagates. And um, that is the, the drive for the year. So that's kind of similar to you. And basically I just keep them mirrored throughout the year. So as often as possible, I'm backing up from the primary to the, backup drive and, and trying to keep them in sync. And we only use that primary between both of us. So we've got both of our laptops, but we're constantly passing this one drive back and forth that our Lightroom catalogs are referring to so that kind of whoever has the drive has all of the primary files. We try to never work off of the backup. Um, because that just screws everything up. Sure, I can see that. But it, I mean, this screws everything up too, that like a lot of the time, you know, if she's working on it, I don't have access to them. Uh, and then inside of this drive, there's a folder called Tyler and a folder called Anya. And uh, that's what the Lightroom catalogs are pointing at. So it's all on the drive, but um, it's in two catalogs. So what I think I'm about to do for the end of the year is take all of both of our catalogs and, and merge them, like maybe take mine, I think mine is smaller. So I'm gonna export my catalog and import it into her catalog and that'll become the 2016 catalog, mm -hmm. which I, I think will make sense. Um, but there's even a chance we'll have duplicate files and stuff because she'll sometimes send me DNGs and I'll edit the PSDs on mine. So I don't know. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, there really might be duplicates of a lot of stuff. So I'm also tempted to just walk away and kind of leave the folders organized the way they are. And um, so this this sounds like a perfect opportunity for you to gear up and, you know, make something solid that both of you year. guys adhere to. Yeah. Yes, but I, I don't have that idea. I mean, I've been thinking about it for a whole year now, and I still I don't really have a better idea. Um, yeah. Because so That's... often, like, the obstacle is just getting this done right now and it's like based on who's like sometimes i'll edit the files directly on her computer but then i've stolen her computer for a couple of hours so then the next time she'll send me all the files and she didn't delete the files on her computer so i'm working with a different set of them and a lot of the time it's just like we just need to keep moving forward and get this next job done get this finished and uh without having a system kind of constrain us mm -hmm which makes archiving a bit of an issue. We, you know, we have all of the files. The issue isn't that they're, that they're not safe. Like, yeah, you just don't know where they are. Yeah, basically. We don't know where the definitive versions are. I, I would love to solve this. I, I basically have 24 hours to solve it before we download our first card of the year. <laughs> That's not very much time. Yeah, but we'll, we'll move into a new catalog. I hadn't always been splitting our catalogs. 
uh, year annually. We have a few years in one catalog right now, but um, I'm, I'm going to make sure that they're split from now on. So each of us will have a, a 2017 catalog. But I, I wish that this was a more common use case that like studios with multi people, multiple people working on effectively the same catalogs. It'd be, it'd be great for Adobe to bring some of that forward. They've actually done it for Premiere. There's new team edit features. So multiple people can be working on one project at the same time. But everything gets sorted and yeah, it just sorts it out. Um, I don't know. I don't know how. I don't even know if it does a good job. But if they were at least attempting to do it, I'm sure it I, it couldn't get worse than it is. So, well, and this is this. You know, it occurs to me now that you know that this this is actually a common theme that keeps coming up in our in our professional lives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just having to like organize all these different levels and layers of files in their different um, stages. Oh, for sure. States. I, I feel like most of the people that do tutorials about this on the internet or people that give advice just don't have high volume. Right. You know, it, it, it's just <laughs> such a different game if you only have 10,000 or less photos a year. Um, yeah. it's, it's much easier to deal with. But yeah, uh, when you're when you're dealing with a lot of a lot of volume, you know, the, the flip side is that you now don't have time to do the tutorials. Yeah. I mean, I, so I was just looking at at ours uh, in in Anya's folder, in her 2016 folder, there are 152,000 items, which mm-hmm. some of that could be XMP data. Sure. So I'd peg it more at like 80,000 maybe, okay. maybe 100, and the mine is 17. So either way, I mean, it's somewhere around, hovering around 100,000 files, and that sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's just... Yeah. So, like you're going to have to hire somebody. Well, this has always been the problem. I mean, we, we actually did hire somebody to help us for a while that would kind of sort out the junk from shoots because a lot of our, a lot of those numbers are shoots that just didn't get dealt with. I mean, there are shoots that we kind of did for the blog, like for her blog and then don't get used. And there's 3000 photos sitting there from one or two days of shooting and they never get looked at, and who has time to go back and sort through a shoot just so that you can delete all the junk, but you know you're not going to post it. Like, the only reason you is to delete as much as possible so you could salvage a few photos that you may not use. Uh, You know, it's... So that's what the that's what the gigabytes are taken up by. Honestly, is is these unused shoots? But something I do, and I, I wonder what you think about this. I haven't got much feedback from other people about this, but I will always I convert all my PSDs after the project is done and delivered to the client mm-hmm. to lossy DNGs, hmm. and that's how I archive my final files. Okay, so let me just let's back up before the PSDs. Yeah, because I always work in TIFF. Okay, so but it's just, we're talking about the same thing, right? Yeah, I'd, th- there is not an important difference. I I don't think you possibly could have an important difference if you're working with. Is there a reason that you use PSD instead of TIFF? Uh, because it is just much more familiar to me. I mean, I've never work. I I never liked the idea of TIFFs. I guess um, they're huge. So I don't think there's a size difference. I mean, okay. PSDs are huge too. So that's why I convert them to lossy DNGs. Okay. Um, but to me, it was just that it's the native Photoshop format. I'm working within Photoshop. I don't have a good reason. If any listeners have a reason to use one or the other, 
but I assume that, I mean, you can set your bit depth and your color profiles. And to me, that's where the quality is really contained. Yeah. You know, the same file or a file at the same resolution, same bit depth, same color profile should be you know, retain all the information between both of them, right? Yeah. So then my logic in converting them all to lossy DNGs, one is that it's really fast because I can do it within Lightroom. So I don't need to uh, open up all the Photoshop files and flatten them and re-export them. I can just select all of the completed. I can basically, I'll search for all the PSDs in the last month, two months, whatever, and select all. And then where do I go? I go uh, library, convert photo to DNG, and then I have to unclick only convert raw files. That's on. It's always on by default. Then turn on use lossy compression, and um, basically it just makes them really high quality. Lossy DNG is a little bit of a, a mystery format and it, it's probably not a great archival format because it's not even widely supported uh the os can't see them so mac os can't read lossy dng files or give me previews of them i need to look at them in an adobe product to even see thumbnails that that's definitely a downside but you are crazy they're like <laughs> but well it's also an, it is an open source format so right. it's not proprietary um other People, I'm, I'm sure other software can see it that I don't use, but but they so they flatten the file. They use JPEG compression, but with some magic that gives them a bunch of flexibility. So my assumption is by archiving these, I am not. These are already edited. I'm not going to make further edits. So retaining layers, retaining bit depth, that's just not very important to me. If I'm going to re-edit this file, I'm going to go back to the raw source, and 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 just start from scratch because I, I just can't imagine a scenario in the future that I, it's really important that I edit this file, but I need to retain all my previous edits. Uh, I don't know. I for the amount of extra space it would take up. I can't imagine that scenario. And if I take a PSD or, and same with the TIFF and I, well, so first of all, the size of them, I'm going to do this on a file right now. I'm going to take a look, show and finder. Uh, okay. So this PSD is 243 megabytes. I'm going to go to library, convert to DNG. First, I'm not going to use lossy. So this is a full-size DNG. Converting, converting. Oh, maybe I shouldn't have done this live because it's uh, taking forever. <laughs> I can tell you ahead of time that basically it um, keeps the files pretty big. Oh, there it goes. It's 97 megabytes. So it's still 100 megabytes. So less than half the size. That's pretty good. Now I'm going to go to another PSD convert to DNG, and now I'm going to use lossy compression. And I can tell you this is going to be a hell of a lot smaller. 4.8 megabytes. Hmm. It's like a JPEG plus, you know, a JPEG with a little extra data thrown in there for fun. So I don't know. I've I've never had anybody try to talk me out of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, have you ever talked about it like that in depth to the world? I don't know. Uh, I don't know if I have. So... Hey, if anybody thinks that's a bad idea, tell me. Uh, obviously, I know there's some risk to, to using Adobe's you still format, have the, but you still have the raw file, right? Yeah, that's right. Eh, it doesn't matter. Yeah, no, I don't think it does. Uh, yeah, I could always just open up the this even if I lost these DNGs, it, it just wouldn't be a huge deal unless I lost all of them because then I'd have no processed photos left. That would be awful. Okay, so this might be a hypothetical question. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. 
So let's say two or three years down the road from the original time that you processed a photo and delivered it to whatever. Um, and now you, uh, you realize that that photo has lived its life in said area and needs to go somewhere else. So like, let's say it's a client image and now it's available for stock. So are you going to submit it as it was at that time? Or are you going to consider giving it a fresh coat of paint? I very rarely reprocessed. See, I, I can't, I can't help myself. Like yeah. I have to reprocess. Well, I'm like, but I, I hate it. I, I, don't, I look at something and I'm like, no. I've never, I've never really pull things back from the archives like that. Um, yeah. I imagine it's, it and it's, I prepare for it, but yeah. I just don't end up doing it. Like I've got this one portrait of David Cross, comedian, who I love. Like I was, I, I, I don't shoot celebrities. I don't have a bunch of celebrity photos sitting around, but I got him to sit down in front of me while I had strobe set up and got to take a photo of him. And this is pretty early on. So the processing on it is not great. I would love to dig that up and reprocess it now. And that's the only photo I ever think about reprocessing. And I haven't even done that one. So yeah. So that's not an issue. <laughs> yeah. It just doesn't happen. Like, uh, yeah. uh, you know, th there's always mo so much more incentive to deal with new photos. There's always, it's yeah. always more profitable to work on new photos. It's more satisfying personally going back in time. I don't know. There's, there's so rarely a reason to do it. And I'm prepared for the day. I assume someday I will. That's why I pay attention to these things and, and, and work at them. But I, um, well, you may or you may not. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, there are times when, you know, who knows what's going on. Like maybe I'm just uninspired and I need to not shoot something new and go back and, and just look at some stuff like in my portfolio at Stocksy or whatever and be like, God, that looks so bad. I'm going to reprocess this series, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then resubmit it and maybe feel a little bit better about myself and consider grabbing a camera again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I did that once or twice in the iStock days. Um, but I think I was just shooting less often then. Right. Um, I mean, yeah, you're you're super busy now. So. Yeah, it just depends, uh, yeah, it depends on your schedule. Because th th there's a lot of people also that um, build their business on the assumption that they're only going to do a couple of shoots a month, right? Like you, you price high so that you, you, you know you won't have a ton of clients, but the ones you get are worth it and you can focus on them um, and you don't have a ton of volume. And mm -hmm. then each photo kind of has more value to you and um, you can spend more time focusing on it and, um, you know, refining each one. But th that's just not, that's not my situation. So, right. You have to do a lot, a lot of volume. Yeah. Yeah. I was even thinking about this for Capture One, which I was playing around with a bit more this week and is obviously great. And uh, I would love to use it still like we it was like a year ago we were talking about the idea yeah. of like hey maybe would anybody switch from lightroom to capture one mm -hmm. and um i would i would love to be able to use it to have the luxury of using it to process my images but i don't have time at all i, I rely way too much on lightroom presets um and the amount of gain in image quality or uh control over colors that i'm going to get by switching um, it doesn't make sense. It, you know, nobody other than me is going to look at the photos that I process in Capture One and be, like have their minds blown that like, how did you achieve this look that you weren't achieving before um, when you were efficiently <laughs> getting things done in Lightroom? You know? It's very smart so, of you to realize. Because I had, I mean, yeah, I mean, we talked about this. We went, I went through the same thing and 
the end of the day, it's like, hmm. Yeah. I, I can't see it making enough of an impact. Mm-hmm. Or, like, more of an impact than, say, like, me actually planning out a new series that was all the hotness. Yeah, exactly. So things I know I'm going to do moving forward are uh, I've got, well, I've got uh, sitting right here. I've got two fresh Seagate four terabyte backup plus drives. These are going to become 2017. And uh, I want to switch to having my video content stored somewhere else. So for 2016, I'd kind of archive all the video stuff with the, the photo things. Um, what do you mean some, somewhere else? So I'm going to get, I'm going to basically have that same system, but with video only. So I'll get some mm-hmm. uh, external drives that are just for video projects and keep all the photo stuff on the four terabytes. I'm glad you, I'm glad you an- answered that question or brought that up because <laughs> I was going to ask that question. Okay. Yeah. And uh, an imp- important part is also getting a, fast SSD to edit from. So a lot of the time when I'm editing video right now, I'm editing off of these drives, which is a bad idea. Like this is not, you shouldn't do this. It is much slower because when you're editing video, the program is constantly accessing the files. Like think about playing a timeline and you've got 20 or 30 different video files in there. Every time it goes to the next cut, it needs to communicate with the hard drive to see that file. And if these are spinning disk drives that are USB 3, it's going to be a hell of a lot slower than an SSD, basically. I mean, SSDs are unfathomably faster. Um, So I'm going to have like a one terabyte SSD that is uh, basically has all my working files, whatever videos I've been working on lately. And then I'll have a set of two larger Seagate drives that I pass the files off to as they're done. And those are kind of... Um, active archives throughout the year. And then I'll, I'll do the same thing I do with photography of each year. Basically, there'll be two photo drives and two video drives. So I, I still don't love this system. I mean, honestly, even looking at the, the archives that I have now, it's such a stack of drives. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. there just become so many and it's it's got to be a better way. And uh, I, if anybody hasn't heard the earlier episodes when I first talked about my backup strategy I, I used to rely on my synology a lot more on the uh nas nas drive yeah. but it's pretty much full and it has been well, for more than a year so i don't know I, I i isn't that the point though is that you can always just throw in more drives well it's full full <laughs> no, i mean can't you buy bigger drives or? uh it's got four four terabyte drives in it you can do better than that uh well kind so of so you need the, a, so you need to you need to upgrade your Synology yeah exactly I need I probably just should have bought like an eight bay one at first but so the, <laughs> when I imagine that right now it's like three thousand dollars to really jump into that or I can you know every time I buy one of these four terabytes that's like one hundred twenty bucks hundred fifty bucks something like that yeah it's crazy yeah it's so it's I, a huge expense yeah. I mean, that difference, that's a really big... So, yeah, to get two of them, it's like $300 uh, compared to $3,000. It's really hard to well, both yeah. bite and, that bullet and also talk on you into it. And let me ask you about this one. Are you Do you, do you carry insurance for your business and your equipment? Oh, like for... Um, yes, I do. Okay. Yeah. Some people... The reason I ask is because some people don't even have insurance, right? A lot of people yeah, that, yeah. that we know don't even have insurance. So then, you know, you think about... Like, well, are you going to throw down the money for insurance, but not throw down the money to, to archive your, your work? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all, it's not perfectly related, but it's, it's all in, in the 
grand scheme of things. Yeah. So. It's just a lot. Yeah, <laughs> like I know. It just it adds up. It adds up in yeah. time and in money. I think last time we talked about this, it was that what we said is like you can either throw time in it or you can throw money at it. And now yeah. it feels like I have to throw both at it. It takes equal parts. And uh, well, and isn't that what I was saying then? Yeah, because you know, like I think that at, at that point I had come to I'd come to the, a T, and was just like I'm screwed. Like I have no choice but to throw both time and money, and it's gonna suck. And you know, I hope that I've learned something and I think that hopefully I did, you know, so things are going great right now. <laughs> so I've only had to, I've only had to buy one more drive. I bought a 1.5 terabyte drive for, for the Bay in this, this past year. Mm -hmm. Um, and right now I'm, I'm sitting really well. Nice. Doing good. Yeah. Hopefully. Oh, <laughs> we'll see. Great. oh, well, and other problems are this year I upgraded cameras. So, uh, my megapixels mm. have gone, have basically doubled. So file sizes have doubled and yeah yeah which is not worth it to me for anybody wondering what my opinions on megapixels are i think 25 is about the right cap and i wish cameras would stop getting any bigger because it's absolutely not worth it and i second that yeah. i think that you know like 25 is is ideal for digital for me mm -hmm. And anything more is, is overkill unless it's absolutely warranted. Yeah. Well, basically, if you need more than that, that's a time to go rent a camera to me. Yeah. <laughs> if you if if your business is such that you need to buy a higher megapixels camera, then get a medium format. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And do it right. And you know, because I just have to say it, like fifty megapixel, you know, files from thirty five millimeter format sensors are not as good. Yeah, they're not. Uh, they're not amazing. They're no fine, and and the people and the people. The reason that people are shooting them is because you know obviously they want bigger resolution so they can print bigger for whatever reasons you know. And unfortunately, you know, all you're doing is you're taking the exact same space, and you're packing more pixels into that space. I always want to sit down with these people that are really concerned about that file size and print size, and mm -hmm. just get a real answer of how often do they print it. How often do you use that at all? Because I've seen work that I did at iStock Photo in 2006 uh, that was shot at, I don't know, 12 megapixels. I've seen it on billboards. Like, I bought as a stock photo, shows up on a billboard, <laughs> and it looks fine. So, Well, it's also, it's higher up and further away. But that's what happens when you print things large. Like, wh that's right. what are, how often are people printing really large prints and mounting them in their home or somewhere you're going to look at? Like... You, they don't because yeah. it costs a fortune. No, to print yeah, them. you'll print one or two things in your whole house that are bigger than eight by ten, and and <laughs> yeah, filling up all my hard drives just for that one day is crazy. Oh, so sort of related. I, um, I for a Christmas gift for one of my best friends, I bought him a framed print from my Society Six store. Mm -hmm. Um. And it's, I, I just knew that it would mean something to him personally, because it's, it's of, um, the image is, is called Wings Over Roslyn. And it's, it's basically a, a image I took this year that was out of the airplane, leaving the airport and flying over Roslyn, which is a city in Arlington that's here really close to us. And it's, it's a, I think it's a really cool shot. It's one, I'm really proud of it, but I just know his taste. And mm. I know that like, it has that like home relevancy thing to him. That, that will mean something to him. So I was like, oh, this is the perfect gift. So, you know, I bought him this print, which was taken on my iPhone. And that's the whole point. And I bought the largest size that I could 
based on the the file size that came from the iPhone. So um, the print size is 17 by 21. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's actually a pretty big freaking print, right? I mean, when you put that on a wall, like it covers a whole wall, yeah. basically. Yeah, it's bigger than most people print yeah. ever, really. You know, I mean, most people, I mean, I, I, I don't even generally print. I've never, even when I was in working in a dark room, I never printed 11 by 14, mm-hmm. <laughs> ever. You know, so I mean, 17 by 21 to me seems pretty big. And, you know, like I felt like I took a chance because it was an iPhone shot. And tonight I gave it to him and we looked at it and I'll tell you, man, that thing looked incredible. Hmm. It looked perfect. Yeah. Nice. You know, I didn't go under it with a, with a, uh, you know, a microscope or anything, but like is just looking at it with a naked eye as close as I could. It looked amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and that tells me everything I need to know. If you need more megapixels than that, it, you are, you're either delusional or you work in a specialty field. And by the number of people that worry about megapixels, I'm pretty sure I know where most of them land. Yep. (laughs) And they're probably listening right now and pissed off at me. Sorry, guys. Yeah, sorry. But you got duped. Yeah. (laughs) So did we. We did too. At some point, I think we all did. Happens to all of us. You know, I have a D800 sitting here. And I love it because I use it to scan film. And I still end up with, after I crop the borders, I still end up with a, you know, about the same size as I get from the D750. So it's all perfect. Yeah. I mean, that's what the... Pixels are nice for cropping. Yeah, that's when exactly. that's when I do put it to use. But mm-hmm. but otherwise, it's just it's a storage nightmare. It's costing you money that you're not getting back. Yeah. It, it'll, it, so that that's the moral of the story, or the lesson to be learned is that more megapixels cost you more money for nothing. <laughs> uh, do you have a Do you have a thing this week? What is my thing? Oh my god, I didn't even think about it. I have a thing. Um, uh, if you, if I. You my, I guess my thing is that um, I, it's not really a thing. It's just totally personal because this this week has been really really weird. <laughs> like I had a lot of me time, and I'm not sure that's a good thing. Um, but I went and I bought a whole bunch of vinyl with Christmas money. Okay. And uh, I got some cool stuff, man. Like mm. I I went to um, I went to my local shop, and I'll just give them a, a plug, and they're called CD Seller. And it's really, it's really kind of a funny thing because I took the Christmas money, but I also took a couple boxes of old CDs and my goal was to trade them in for vinyl. And, uh, you know, I was thinking like, man, I'm, I'm going to get a huge tab. <laughs> and, uh, they ended up buying $85 worth of CDs. Oh, how, how and, many CDs makes up $85? Um, not, I didn't, I don't remember what the count was. I'm guessing it was about 30 or 40 maybe not sure um but what i did i I, they showed me the stack that they wanted and it was hysterical because you know the the whole i mean remember 10 15 years ago the whole like cd game was like if you had some cool shit like you didn't have to worry about it losing its value so if you had let's just take it back to like 2005 Right, because mm-hmm. that's I, I know that you that's an era that you were paying a lot of attention. Um, yeah, that's when I was. So let's when just I say like, it. yeah, let's just say like you bought the Arcade Fire, like you knew at that time that you'd be able to sell that back to a CD store without any problem for at least a good long time. Right, it had some, or at least you assumed. Yeah, yeah you think oh no problem. 
Well, so like I, I, I think that a lot of my CDs are really good. I'm not saying that Arcade Fire is one of them, but um, you know, so like I'm expecting more. <laughs> and then I look at the at the uh, the titles that they selected, and most of those titles were like things that I really like would have never sold back then mm-hmm. because they would have been considered old hat or something like stuff like Chicago and Neil Young and, and like, <laughs> right. and I was just like, whoa, like something is definitely off. So I kind of laughed because I, I came back with my boxes of CDs and I still had all the stuff that I would consider cool. Yeah. <laughs> so did, did you like tr- trade any CDs directly for the same vinyl? I did. <laughs> That's good. A, a couple. That makes but sense. Totally not makes sense. intentionally. I mean, not unintentionally, but I mean, you know, when you're like at a, at a used CD or record store or whatever, you know, I mean, the, the amount of stock that's brand new is limited anyway, mm-hmm. and it's totally a chance, right? So anyway, I got, um, I got some stuff that I was just, I, I couldn't believe that I found. So one of them that I've been just completely freaking out about is uh, Brian Eno's uh, Taking Tiger Mountain by Strategy. Okay, and what I don't, what wins what Eno era is that? Uh this is the this is his second solo album, so it was in the mid seventies. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I ended up with about fifteen, but that's the one I was super, super excited about. Thanks. Yeah. Cause I mean that's what vinyl is to me. It's just about owning something that, that I already know that I love. It's not yeah. I don't buy vinyl that I'm gonna take a chance on. Yeah. I, I was doing that with books for a little while that because uh, I listen to audiobooks a lot, and so I was buying the real life copies so that there's something to look at on the shelf that connects to what I know I care about, you know? Oh, sorry. I've got one more. Mm-hmm. Um, I finally was able to get, and I'm going to really make myself sound old, um, but people who shoot film will probably appreciate it. Um, I found, finally was able to get Pink Floyd's Animals mm-hmm. on vinyl because they finally re-released it. Oh, okay. Was this hard to get before? Yeah, I mean, it was practically impossible as far as I could tell. Oh, it just wasn't something that I was able to ever, I never saw it, never was able to find it, and couldn't look it up even like on uh, Music Direct and sites like that. I always wanted it. Just it was like, I have to have this. This is my favorite Pink Floyd album, blah, 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 blah. And never could find it. And so finally, it's it's available, and I got it for Christmas. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've never searched for it, so I know nothing about this, but I'm sure, yeah, you're right. Our film, our film nerds will be able to appreciate it, I think. Except for the, if, if you have young people listening, they don't know. And so go and check it out and find out what weird old people like me were listening to when we were kids. So listen to Cameron's other podcast, Old Man Vinyl Appreciation <laughs> Week. <laughs> That's right. I also got the new tribe called Quest. Oh, I heard that's great. I I yeah, will it's, I will listen to that. That still makes me old. Yeah. Well. <laughs> but hip. I guess. My thing I'm going to it's a bit of a tease cuz I don't know a lot about it yet, but is the actually I'll do two cuz one I can talk about a bit more in depth. The Hasselblad X1D. Mm. Uh you've seen this, right? Mm-hmm. I so I I got to hold one. I got to play with one and I have reservations. Uh, when holding this camera is incredible. Like this is the most beautiful industrial design. Well, that Hasselblad has ever done. Uh, it it feels like um, if it, it's at Leica design quality to me and build quality, extremely sturdy and minimal and beautiful lines and 
I don't think Hasselblad has been doing anything beautiful for years now. I mean, they're working cameras, their larger cameras have just been, no, they're oh yeah, they look like the worst generation of Polaroid cameras, like 80s Polaroids. The H systems? Yeah. Oh, they're yeah. awful. Uh, so yeah, X1D is really beautiful. I mean, anybody that's seen the photos, you can tell, but it's, it is even nicer in person. Details like the dial that you change, the, the mode dial pops out as you press it in, in a really clean way. And um, it just feels great. The first version of the firmware, so th this will hopefully have changed soon, was pretty buggy, which is why I don't want to give an actual review. There was actually really clear issues with it that they need to resolve before um, I can say much more about it. So obviously, if, if they don't resolve that, then it's a, a non-starter. But um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to borrow this so that I can uh, re report back. So um, yeah. Uh, and if anybody in Calgary at the camera store, uh, go pop into the camera store and try it out because they have it there. Yeah, you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm looking at it right now, right? And aesthetically, you know, it's it's just like, it's the future of my Mamiya. Yeah, the yeah, Mamiya 7, exactly. You know? It's totally the evolution of those. Um, and it only took you know ten years of digital cameras to get there, but uh, but um, they've done it uh, design wise. Anyway, I don't know. Maybe it'll take two versions of this camera to completely get it right. But um, mm -hmm. well, and I still. It still comes right back to the previous thing that we were just talking about with the resolution. Mm -hmm. I mean, at least you're going to get that medium format compression. Yeah, well, that's that's why you would use this to me. But uh, yeah, I, I got I got I got to play with it before I give any more opinions. I have thoughts, but I don't want to show them yet. Um, so <laughs> I'm going to make my other pick, which is just I fully love, and that's Colorista Four by Red Giant. So this is video software and it's the color grading tool that I first learned to color grade with. Mm -hmm. And their latest version is really great. Um, I've been using Film Convert and Resolve quite a bit. Uh, and there isn't a ton of control that you get in Film Convert, especially if you're Take, this is what Colorista is great at. If you're taking log footage and you need to turn it into a, give it like the full contrast and saturation of a proper image, when you do that in Film Convert, it adds a film look immediately as part of that conversion. But so you can't escape it. Like it's already got a filter on it, basically. And with Colorista, it has really beautiful log conversion, better than most of the other. Lots that I've seen better than than most things is very little banding, very clean image. Oh, well, little banding that's referring to it, like an eight bit camera, which is what I'm using. But it just it really nails it uh, out of the gate, and then gives you a lot of control in in playing with the images. So I found that I don't need to go to Resolve as much. I can do everything inside of Premiere because um, it's a plugin. And uh, yeah, so I, I was using the old version years ago. They've updated a lot, and it's really really great. So I, oh, that's cool. I, I highly recommend it. I mean, I, I think using that and some uh, LUT presets, presets to give you uh, kind of the, the look that you want, like a bit of a, a bit of flair or combining it with film convert can be a really great combination. So awesome. Yeah. You know, I just remembered what it was I was supposed to bring up. Oh, what's that? My keyworder. Oh yeah. Your keyworder. That's supposed to be your pick. <laughs> well, I mean, it was your pick my... in uh, Twitter. So. Not your keyword, my keyword. Your keyword. 
No, my keyword. Um, who's on first? <laughs> my keyword. Okay, t- tell us about it real quick. And then tell us about it more in the future because I know you love it. Yeah, so basically uh, keywording sucks, right? Yeah, a lot. Um, most of the time we're scratching our head and a lot, you know, I, I happen to have to look a lot at, at a lot of other people's keywords and I can tell that they're reaching most of the time. And so it's just, it's nice to have like a tool that, that can suggest some keywords to you based off of one or two words. So the most common keywording issues I think of are uh, kind of two sides. Um, one is coming up with the all of the obvious keywords that, mm-hmm. and this is for stock that I'm talking about specifically, sure. but um, the things that you need to put on every image. So sometimes it's, you know, people and person and man and male and uh, handsome and whatever else. Um, but uh, then the other is coming up with like kind of the accurate creative words as well. Right. So um, the more conceptual yeah. stuff that actually, you know, cause you think about like, there's two types of thought, right. That go into looking for images. Yeah. And sometimes people are thinking metaphorically, like I need something that, that makes me feel like this. So or something that which, represents which one thing. do you think that it helps the most with? Like, how do you think it works best? Both. So it's, it's, it's really quite, it's quite incredible. So first of all, you can use it. I guess that, that they have a, a website version that you can use, which I wouldn't recommend. Okay. Um, you can download it as a plugin for Lightroom. Um, you can also download it as a plugin for, um, you know, for like WordPress and stuff like that. Um, so anyway, you at, you know what you can do is then you can either select an image or uh, a group of images that would you would want to put the same keyword on. Um, open it up in the plug-on extras, and then um, you know it opens up its own little dialog, and then you look at the image and you decide you know just put two of the most obvious things, right? Two of the most obvious words that describe whatever you're looking at. Mm-hmm. And then what it does is it, it does a search on the most commonly associated keywords added to image, you know, like I guess some huge database of images. Um, and so literally you get like sometimes three or 400 results hmm. to, to choose from. And they're usually the best ones are at the top. Um, and so you can just go and start picking the ones that you like. And then if you don't see anything that, or if it's starting to go into some weird directions, then you can just, you know, resort with a new search term. And then once you have all the ones that you've selected, uh, you just click add to photo and then there they are. Well, I'm going they're all in- installing it right now. Mm-hmm. Cause I know I should have weeks ago when you first told me about it. And it's a donation thing, so like, um, it's kind of a, it's kind of bullshit in terms of the donation. So like, I like that it's, that it's cheap. Cheap and free. Have, no. Yeah, but it's not really free because if you want to use it for real, like, then you need to, you need to buy a license. Oh, okay. So, and that license is under donate. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's it's really more of a demo. Yeah, it's more of a demo that you can then buy. Okay. And um, you the, the great thing is is that the minimum that you have to spend to to get the full thing is ten bucks. Okay. And ten dollars for something like this is is the best ten dollars you're spent. All right. Well definitely. I'm I'm gonna try it out right now and next time we record let's talk about it in a bit more depth. And just about keywording in general, because that actually could tie well into our problems today. It's uh, part of the way I do organize my files 
I, mm-hmm. I, there's actually a, a thread that I dropped when I was explaining my file organization that keywords are, are, are part of. And it's that I sort everything by date. I don't have folders for shoot types. Um, mm-hmm. I have everything by date. So keywords become a more important way of finding stuff. So doing well, this well. Yeah. <laughs> Date's good. good part to have. It's a good, you know, but you if you don't remember what the date was and all well, you remember was what the subject but was. But so that's why you keyword. Um, anyway, yeah. we, we can go more into that in the future. Yeah, we should. Cool. Thanks, Cameron. Yeah, thank you. Have a happy 2017.